Hey everybody, welcome to A Girl Talks. As you know, uh, this is a podcast where we discuss topics that matter, um, not just to me, if you're listening to this, clearly you're interested in this topic we're going to be discussing. Today I am at RMA and I am with Dr. Drews and um, there's lots of stuff to be asked. One, because I'm also jumping into this journey myself, but two, questions that I've had conversations with friends and even family members who have no idea um, how this is done, some people that didn't even know that this was even an option for a single woman, and uh, as a Latina, it's all brand new for my family, but they're very supportive, and um, and I think that asking questions are so important. So Dr. Drew, if you want to just let the audience know a little bit about you, and then we can jump into what egg freezing is. Sure. Uh, first, uh, thank you for having me. Just It's a pleasure to be here, and certainly a uh, uh, topic near and dear to my heart in, in terms of what uh, uh, myself and my colleagues do here every day. And uh, myself, I'm uh, Michael Drews. I'm the, the, the medical director here at Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey. And um, uh, I'm uh, largely in charge of the IVF program, making sure that we keep our, our quality high and our, our patients pregnant. So. Um, uh, uh, I grew up on Long Island, went to, to school uh, upstate at Cornell and then at medical school at Cornell in the city and um, have uh, found my way here joining uh, with one of, one of my partners that I've known since my fellowship in 1990 at Spalberg. So that's what got me here. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, it's a true East Coast Northerner. Completely. <laughs> haven't ventured very far outside the tri-state area. I'm actually curious to ask this question because I know in one of my last gynecological visits, um, they had mentioned that they were seeing women um, getting earlier signs of menopause. And uh, they, they noticed that that was regional. I'm from Elizabeth, so they were seeing the alarming rate going up for women, you know, around my age. And that's kind of like, I was like, wait, what? First of it, all, no. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta freeze my eggs ASAP, how do we do this? Yep. Is that something that you've noticed throughout your well, practice? We, we really haven't noticed it to be a strong trend, but we know that you know certainly there are environmental influences that are affecting everything with regard to reproduction for both women and men. As I know it's been a popular news story over the past two years about how worldwide um, uh, male sperm counts seem to be dropping. Wow. And that, you know, since I've been doing this for 30 years, I've certainly seen that there's been a, a bit of a trend there. Yeah. So if it affects the male, I, I can't see any reason why it wouldn't affect the female in terms of, of reproductive changes. And it probably has to do with some of the things in our environment. You right. know, we're, we're focusing on plastics and microplastics mm -hmm. and all sorts of other things that unfortunately are part of what we are exposed to every day. And we know a number of these things are what we call endocrine disruptors. They yeah. can interfere with the way, especially for for females, the way the way estrogen is supposed to work in the body, and uh, that is very closely tied to how the ovaries work, and of course when menopause might come along. Absolutely, absolutely. So when I was being told this, of course I was like, oh my God, is there a max age? Like, am I maxing out? Am I closer to the max out? And I know a lot of people ask, like, what's too old or what's too mm -hmm. late? If does that does that even exist? Sure, it's yeah. You know, there's there's it's certainly an, an individual story for each woman, mm -hmm. and. Still, out of all these decades of technology, our best predictor of when a woman's gonna go through menopause is just looking at her mother's history. Mm -hmm. If your mom went through menopause at 35, you're probably gonna be unfortunate and see that happen to you. If your mom went through menopause at 55, you've probably got a little more time on your clock. 
So it's, it's kind of like a bell curve there where we see some women are unfortunately subject to menopause a little earlier. The average age is around age 50, 51 in the United States. And then there are some women who, you know, take their ovarian function into their 60s and still, still menstruate uh, long after. Eggs are different, though. I mean, mm -hmm. we talk about menopause when actually the eggs are all gone and the menstrual period stop. That's, that's a, a, a hard stop for the ovaries, right. as we would say. But um, before then, um, fertility potential from the eggs uh, declines dramatically, and it's usually you know quite a profound decline, even five or ten years prior to the day a woman goes through menopause. Absolutely. So we call that period the perimenopause, the the five or ten years before the true end of the menstrual cycling. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, we, we want to try to catch that because once we start to see that a woman enters her perimenopausal years, then again, it's tougher to find good eggs. We know that the the trend is kind of always a downward trend from the moment of birth all the way through menopause. Mm -hmm. Nature never pauses, never gives us more good eggs, and certainly we, we see that uh, we just we just are always working a little bit more of at a disadvantaged wage. So we, we've, uh, the short answer, we, we've, you know, we collect data through in vitro fertilization um, uh, on a, a national basis, mm -hmm. and we know that you see a different pregnancy rate for women, you know, uh, under 35, and then going from 35 to 38, the pregnancy rate drops, yeah. 38 to 40, it drops further, yeah. 40 to 42 it drops further. Mm -hmm. And that's when we're starting to see, for the average woman, going from 35 to 40 is where we're really seeing changes yeah. in the eggs. I think, you know, there's like this really big misconception for women um, that, because you do see things on the news or even in, in Hollywood, older women having pregnancies, but they don't know the background story of like IV or egg freezing or any of that stuff because a lot of the times the conversation is too taboo or something that, you know, they think people may not be interested in, but it's so important. And I and I say that because a good friend of mine, um, he was the one that really like was pushing me like Justenia, you know, me and my wife have been trying to get pregnant mm -hmm. and, you know, we ran some tests and long story short, her eggs are not. Mm -hmm. Um, healthy enough to be able to do this and 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 I know that you live a healthy lifestyle and I know that you know you one day want to be a mom we don't know what question mark that is but if you can take the time to do the research and that blew my mind because had he not been in that scenario and stage of his mm -hmm. life mind you his wife is younger than me mm -hmm. I also might have thought that I'd have time because mm -hmm. I'm like Jennifer Lopez was 50 when she first had her kid mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's the misconception sometimes that we have with social media or even celebrities Very true. not realizing that there's more to that Indeed. you know happily ever after absolutely and and i you know i don't think any woman you know wants to to really get that kind of bad news mm -hmm. so sometimes there might be a tendency not to even ask the question mm -hmm. and just say okay maybe this is fine actually i think most of the responsibility for that has to fall to a woman's uh, uh, a general gynecologist yeah. who is really her primary caregiver in medicine you know through those entire years of her life you know from adolescence through to her adulthood and uh, there you know every good gynecologist should be asking a woman a question are you thinking about having a family is that ever going to be a possibility for you and they should start asking relatively early you know yeah. maybe in the 20s or 30s not ask that at someone at 45 and right. say what are you thinking about you're gonna have a family so right. so there with those questions being posed you know there are some very standard blood tests that can be done mm -hmm. right out of a gynecologist's office or even you know, any general practitioner can yes. draw these blood tests and you can get a snapshot of what your current fertility potential is. Mm -hmm. um, it can't tell you how much time is left on the clock, but it can tell you whether the time is running out or has run out completely, right. as it was for your friend, um, where indeed his wife you know, got obviously some blood tests back that yeah. were not very reassuring in yeah. terms of those numbers. The specific names for the tests, one is called the 
anti-malarian hormone or AMH assessment mm -hmm. that has to do with, with eggs within the ovaries. And the other blood test that we've known for, for decades is predictive is a blood test for a hormone called FSH or follicle stimulating hormone. And that's to be done specifically um, early in the cycle, around the third day of the cycle. Mm -hmm. And again, any, any good gynecologist can easily interpret those numbers and yeah. let someone know whether they look reassuring or whether it looks like things are already in trouble. Yeah, so you hear that? Any gynecologist listening to this, do not be afraid. If anyone should be asking, mm -hmm. do you wanna have kids? It should be the gynecologist versus, versus like, you know, society sometimes like, you're, don't you think you're getting too old? Shouldn't you be thinking about being, you know, a mom? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yep. I, th I thought of those things, thank you, but that's none of your business. But my GYN, who is in my business, mm -hmm. please feel free to ask me. We're in a very comfortable zone. You're really close <laughs> in perimeters that would otherwise be uncomfortable, exactly. but I wouldn't be offended in knowing that you're doing your job. Um, right. Which is interesting that you named a couple of these tests because mm -hmm. I had to go through that mm -hmm. in order to make sure that I was even fit to go on mm -hmm. this journey, mm -hmm. which I think is beautiful because at the end of the day, it's important to know whether you can or can't. Mm -hmm. Because if you're trying to pursue the 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 you know the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, when going through all of that and knowing that you can't, I mean that that would just be heartbreaking. And I'm sure yes. that with time, you've managed you know, science has managed to prevent that from happening, you know? Right, we still have to act early, and mm -hmm. that's, and, and once once that time is lost, we have no scientific way to get it back. Right. And that those are the heartbreaking stories, mm -hmm. you know, just exactly as you say. Gratefully, again, your, your, your numbers were, were wonderful, and, and again, you're doing this in a very appropriate time in your life, but you know, we don't find every woman coming through the door at that time. We see plenty of women in their late 30s, early 40s, beginning to start to consider this, mm -hmm. and. And then we just look and say, I wish I would have seen you, you know, three or four years earlier, I because know. that time can be such a, a valuable commodity. Yeah. And once it's spent, we can't get it back. And again, we, we always want to have hope of helping everyone. But mm -hmm. it's, it's really, it's kind of what you were saying is that we have to set realistic expectations right. for the rules that nature sets and then what science can really do. Mm -hmm. And you're right, there is kind of a misconception that science can fix anything, yeah. that we can take any woman of any age and, and find a perfect egg and make a perfect baby. What we can do, and again, a number of, of celebrities, I don't know if it's the, the one that you actually mentioned by name, <laughs> but um, again, you know, have these miracle pregnancies in their late 40s or early 50s, and they're not miracles at all. We know from within you know, our um, medical community that those are pregnancies that are resulting from eggs that are donated from young women in their 20s. And yeah. It's no miracle that a 50-year-old can get pregnant right. if they're using an egg donated from a 25-year-old. Right, again, something we do here every day. It's, mm -hmm. it's, and, and again, that, that is, that's kind of expected. There and, are and, other options, especially mm -hmm. if you cannot use your eggs, like you said. Precisely. Just like you could get sperm donors, you can get egg donors. It's exactly right. Yes. Again, you, you, we can, we can always make a pregnancy, even if we're, if we're, if we're missing a part, mm -hmm. you know, missing sperm, missing an egg, missing a uterus, mm -hmm. again, through uh, obviously what we call third-party contributions, yes. a, a pregnancy can be created. Yeah. You know, sometimes a woman loses the use of her uterus, we, we use what we call a, a gestational carrier or mm -hmm. a surrogate to carry that mm -hmm. pregnancy. Again, as you mentioned, sperm donation, egg donation, all those parts can be interchanged. Yeah. Again, they're not, it's not for, for everyone. It's not again, for everyone, but. Because this is certainly not just <laughs> medicine and science, there's a lot of emotion. There's emotional, mental to it yes absolutely I think that um, what's interesting is that for me I've never experienced the pressure of motherhood I've, I've always loved kids mm -hmm. I know that I'd be an amazing mom um, and even though my mom and dad culturally were always like you know when are you gonna get married when are you get married um, I never felt what everyone talks about like that biological clock within mm -hmm. myself I felt that within society mm -hmm. and now again 
mid 30 in the early mid part of my 30s like I'm here I am 37 so I, I, I finally started to feel what this quote-unquote biological clock was and then I was like facing questions like is this safe so doctor how safe is egg retrieval because that's another main thing that if you're interested mm -hmm. and even curious about this you want to know how safe this is completely and uh, and again the process to to um, uh, collect and freeze eggs is is basically the process of in vitro fertilization if we think about I IVF as we'll abbreviate it it's kind of about collecting a group of eggs and then if we take it all the way through its process it's fertilizing those eggs with the sperm of your choice, partner, donor sperm, whatever it would be, growing those fertilized eggs to become embryos and then using those embryos to create pregnancies. So when we're doing egg freezing, we're accomplishing just the first part. We're gonna collect the eggs, but that's where we stop, mm -hmm. and then we freeze the eggs, and then at some point in the future, whether it's a month or a year or a decade down the road, those eggs can be thawed and they pick up right where they left off. The duration of time eggs are frozen does not affect their quality or their ability to make a healthy pregnancy. So, um, so with this, again, we know that that first part of stimulating the ovaries with medicines that we call gonadotropins mm -hmm. um, is very safe. And, and again, this goes back to you know the, the very first uh, IVF baby was born in, in 1978, the year that I graduated high school. Wow. Um, but since that time, we know that there are hundreds of thousands of babies yeah. born. Um, and we know that there are tons of studies that have been done on women who have been exposed to these medications. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, uh, um, there, there was sort of a, a poorly done research back in the, the 1980s and 90s that suggested that that these medications might be a risk to a woman mm -hmm. that you were since you were stimulating the ovaries there might be a future risk of ovarian cancer or breast cancer the good studies that have been done over the past 20 or 30 years have completely dispelled that myth entirely what we have learned over the years is that there are some women, unfortunately, that just are born with a genetic risk um, for things like yeah. breast cancer, ovarian cancer. So we know that that's kind of just the cards that someone might be dealt, regardless of their exposure to these medicines. Absolutely. The short answer to that for you, Jasani, is that it's very safe. And we know this, again, through studies in egg donors. Yes. Here are women who have no fertility issues whatsoever and are donating their eggs and have to go through that same IVF process, mm -hmm. exposure to the medication, the, the recovery of their eggs. And again, we know that it's safe for an egg donor to go through that up to four times in her life with no increased risk of breast cancer or ovarian cancer. Incredible. So we, we believe that there's an extremely good margin of safety with regard to this. Yeah, so for my audience that's listening to this, like for me, I knew that the answer was safe because you and I had discussed this mm -hmm. prior. And what was really even soothing for me was when you shared that you've had family members of your own that Absolutely. you helped with. Mm -hmm. So that to me was like, uh, yeah, you know? And as a single woman, I was also like, does any of this make sense to do? But it did after our conversation because the option of who knows if a year or two from now I'll be with someone or still be single, but the it, it alleviates so much stress and so much doubt and so much confusion. Doing this now and knowing that I have access and control of delegating based on my career and my personal life. Um, and I think that this is an option that you know, women and men, men, if you're listening to this and you and your partner are serious, seriously want to have kids but want to do all these other things first, think about the component of having a baby. If Absolutely. we need your sperm, we need an egg. So yes. maybe you guys should start talking and investigating and taking these tests like you said that your practitioner could, you know, write mm -hmm. you off with or visiting the GYN to just find out exactly where you are in that space. Um, what I find really funny, because now I'm, so I got my cycle, I started, and they, I, I needed to take lab tests, and 
you know, my nurse Anne gave me a call and she was like, okay, you could start birth control. And I was like, wait, that's what I picked up? <laughs> I picked up birth control? And part of me was like, that's interesting mm -hmm. because birth control is so that you don't get pregnant. Mm -hmm. How does that help? The process. Uh, this would be an interesting exactly, thing to discuss exactly. with the doctor. Well, well, again, yeah, I'm going to go through a little bit of the medications and kind of when when we do an IVF cycle, we kind of you know we, we take the steering wheel. We we kind of drive the the cycle for that particular two weeks. Whereas you know in a, a natural uh, menstrual cycle, certainly the body begins to mature just a single egg. That egg is ovulated around the 12th or 14th day of a woman's 28 or 30 day cycle. And if she's pregnant, she misses her period. If she's not pregnant, she gets her period. Here we modify the first part. Instead of just seeing one egg grow, we would like a group of eggs to grow. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're modifying things. And um, with the, the birth control pill, it's uh, just to add one extra extra sort of editorial comment for you, Jacinia, <laughs> is that, that when you talk about you know a woman being liberated of the burden of thinking about the biological clock, mm -hmm. you know, the ability for us to freeze unfertilized eggs is just as liberating for women as the original invention of the birth control pill, mm -hmm. which allowed women to not have to be subjected to, to uh, unplanned pregnancies right. at a time in their life where they wanted to to really, you know, be be sort of managing their their reproductive future. So mm -hmm. these are kind of different sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, here it's really to ensure your reproductive future. And that's what you mentioned, I, I've heard from so many women also going through egg freezing, is that um, they don't know what the future will hold. No, none of us does. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those things that's a great mystery of life. But, but again, to know that that uh, there's a group of eggs sitting there waiting for them, mm -hmm. no matter what the eventualities might might be down the road, um, it is kind of their insurance policy, yeah. or or you know if they're their 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 family heirloom locked away in a in a safe deposit box in a in a bank somewhere that yeah. they you know they know it's always there, they know it's safe, and they can always access that at any time, and that is that is something that is something that takes that that burden that you've as you said you only just began mm -hmm. to feel at this mm -hmm. point in your life, mm -hmm. but to know that you can alleviate someone of that. And that they can sleep easy, knowing that their you know their fertility future is yeah. kind of safe with us is uh, is a, a, an amazing thing. But to use um, the, to go through the medications briefly, part of what we need to do is kind of uh, take take control of the ovaries, mm -hmm. and this is just temporary. The birth control pill actually keeps um, the the ovaries nicely at rest, basically, okay. before we want to start them into their their race to make eggs right. so we're kind of you know it's, it's almost as if you're sort of uh, in, in a horse race and you're putting all the horses in the gate at the same okay. time mm -hmm. so that not one gets an advantage to run ahead of the other you're just and keeping then, it there nice exactly we're, yeah, we're holding them on hold and then again it's as if the the, the gates lifted and they start to run mm -hmm. the the medicines that we use to stimulate the ovaries to make these extra eggs are called gonadotropins mm -hmm. and again there, there's nothing magical about it these are the same hormones that um, the body's own pituitary gland makes for a woman every month in order to stimulate the ovaries naturally. We're mm -hmm. just giving those same hormones, what we call FSH and LH, follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, mm -hmm. in a higher amount. Okay. And when we crank up that dose a little bit, the natural response for the ovary is to allow multiple eggs to mature. So again, it, it's nothing that the ovaries can't do on their own. They're just, again, running at a slightly faster pace for just that, that one or two weeks that we stimulate them. So typically, it, these are given as tiny injections, self-injections at home with a, uh, a little- Are the injections painful? They, they are not, okay. they are not. And, and again, I know this- Because I know that, that women- We're preparing for this. It's one of the common myself. questions, <laughs> yes. And, and again, I can tell you that, you know, we, we uh, you know, certainly on, on any year, we do, you know, well over 2,000 cycles mm -hmm. with this. And we find that, that well over 98% of our patients 
can master this immediately. Mm -hmm. Then there's always a little bit of anxiety because you're giving yourself an injection, right. but it's not like the big needles that you yeah. might see. You know, it, it's this really a little injection pen where the needle is tiny. It's about the size of a tip of so a, a it's, pen. So what's intimidating is the actual device, not exactly, the, 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 exactly. the, the, the needle itself. So okay. precisely. And you take this little <laughs> pen, you dial up the dose of medication that's in the pen, you place the pen on the skin of the thigh or the mm -hmm. abdomen, and you hit a little button, the needle goes quickly and painlessly in and out, injects the medication right under the skin, and it's done. Awesome. Again, after the first injection, most women say, well, that's all there is that to is it. it? Okay. And uh, again, we, we find, unless there's such a dramatic needle phobia, which we find mm -hmm. in, in probably less than 1% of mm -hmm. our patients, it's easily mastered. And again, it's not forever. This is really, you know, every evening, pretty much for, for maybe seven to 10 days to do this. Okay. And uh, during that time frame that you're going through those injections, we monitor the response from the ovaries. And we do that through uh, having every patient come in early in the morning. Almost every IVF program opens up very early so women can come in and get out and go about their daily work and not have it interfere with things. So they come in and we do blood work because we look at the hormone estrogen. Estrogen should rise in the blood as healthy eggs are growing. And then on ultrasound, where we're looking at the ovaries to see the little fluid-filled sacs that hold the eggs. Those are called follicles. Mm -hmm. And the follicles grow as the eggs are maturing. Yeah. And we know after years and years of experience, when the follicles are at a certain size and the estrogen levels at a certain level, then those eggs are nicely matured and they're ready to be recovered and retrieved. Right. So, but that part, again, you know, where people are, are maybe a little bit concerned about side effects of medication, we find very, very few women have any undesired side effects. Yeah, I was going to ask a question because I know that for me, when I was mm -hmm. on birth control, mm -hmm. um, I, I discovered that I was very, like, emotional I see and I gained a lot of water weight mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't weight because I was dieting and working mm -hmm. out the way I was but I knew it was water weight and um, that was after my atopic pregnancy that they put mm -hmm. me on that mm -hmm. and not only was I loopy because of having had a atopic pregnancy Correct. now I'm even more loopy because of the hormones but in yeah. general I think that the only thing that I heard was that you might get some water weight, but that that all it quickly dissipates. Yeah. exactly. And and again, this is all very very temporary. And again, most of our patients uh, on these medications describe no emotional side effects whatsoever. Yeah. You know, sometimes they may be a little bit anxious about how many eggs they might mm -hmm. get and how their eggs are going to do. But but typically, there are other medications, more mild fertility medications mm -hmm. that we use that have a a, a much greater concern for some emotional side effects, but not the injectable medications. They right. usually work directly on the ovaries. That's good. They That's leave good. they leave your brain kinda out of out of the loop. My so. mom and dad were actually they made a joke out of it and like they were like, What's a good thing that you're doing this single? Because <laughs> <laughs> You would be, you know, who knows how you're going to react if you're going to be emotional. I'm going to pray, pray for that man if, he was, if there was ever a man that existed well, at that time. So well, good good to the women that do it with a partner, but I don't have to worry about anyone getting under my skin the, while the, I'm getting under my skin. But you're but you're going to be fine, honestly. I can assure you, you'll be, it's, it's more so just the anticipation of the process that mm -hmm. might sort of generate certain emotions. But the medications themselves, estrogen levels, yeah, we, we know, that, uh, you know that that's usually not a major that's cause there. Great. And incidentally, we, we find very few of uh, the marriages in, mm -hmm. in our practice break up during the course of trying to <laughs> create like, a baby. This is how yeah. you're going to be. I can't. No. Yes. You know, I'll be very honest. And I, and I shared this um, in my TikTok and in my Instagram. And a lot of women that um, have had any type of trauma or any obstruction on their on their fallopian tubes, um, they empathize with me because of, of my situation. I know that a lot of women, when you do the research, that have clear tubes, the, the, the examination to see, you know, when they're injecting the dye was like easy breezy, maybe a bad period. But for me, it was like, oh my God, in that instant, I remember like saying, can you please stop? And in a second, I was like, I don't know if I can do this, mm -hmm. like, de mm -hmm. like deliver a child. Mm -hmm. And then they calmed me down. They're like, well, one, 
you know, you'll, you'll have some hardcore medication. <laughs> and two, you know, because I have a high threshold of, of, of pain, I was honest. I was like, I didn't take the four channels. I took two. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, you should have took the four. So I want people to know that if anybody already knows that they had, like, for example, I had a history of an atopic pregnancy. I have a history of scarring tissue. Listen to the doctors. Just listen to the doctors and ask a question. No question is dumb. And that's my only regret. Like, even though a lot of women that were in my same scenario could, with the four Tylenols that they took or whatever it was they took, knew that it was uncomfortable. What I want to get to at the point is, it's how badly you want something. And mm -hmm. temporary pain for a future, mm -hmm. it's so worth, well worth it. And I'm actually looking forward to the whole experience of what this brings. And, you know, in terms of like how long this journey is, begin like start date mm -hmm. one, how long is it roughly with getting on the pill to then doing the injections? Just to a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, just a few weeks. And again, you know, the, and we're not putting you on months and months of the birth okay. control pill. Usually we just need maybe two weeks. On oh, okay, the pill. cool. So that I didn't know because I was yeah. like, wow, I was like, I got to do this for like 30 days or oh, something. No, 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 no. Usually. <laughs> but that's yeah. good to and, know. And it's only for about it, it, two weeks. Yeah, okay. it, two weeks is, is the minimum we need to get the ovaries nicely prepared. And uh, then the, the stimulation, kind of the, the injections and the ultrasound, the blood work, that's maybe seven to ten days. So you're talking about a week, maybe a week oh, and a half. Oh, that's good. And then it all culminates with the minor procedure, which is what we call an egg retrieval. Yes. And How uh, long is that process? Oh, that, that the egg retrieval procedure, I mean, literally takes ten minutes to wow. do. Wow. And uh, you... you when your eggs are ready, you come in that morning. The, the nurses get you started with an intravenous. The mm -hmm. anesthesiologist gives you some sedation through the intravenous. Mm -hmm. You're comfortably off to sleep. You will not feel a thing. Right. Nobody has a, a moment's memory of this. <laughs> and once you're asleep, we, we take the ultrasound probe. We place it in the vagina, guide a little needle along the probe. The needle goes into the ovary, enters each of those little follicles, and drains the fluid from the follicles to capture the eggs. Mm -hmm. It hasn't changed very much since the 1980s. That's the oh, technique that's that awesome. we use. And it literally takes about 10 minutes to yeah. retrieve all the eggs from both ovaries. It's just a little needle stick on either side of the, the vagina to get to the ovary. It's kind of like drawing blood from a vein. We're, we're just using a longer needle and drawing a little fluid out of the ovary. That's great to know because one, so, one of my best friends, she was like, oh my God, do they have to cut you open? Oh, Are there no. scars? Are there any like... Not at all. Wow. Okay, so Not that's really, really good. Honestly, like I remember when I first started this, I was like, I don't want to do too much research because mm -hmm. I don't want to pretend to know it all. I really want to learn as I go and ask questions that are necessary. Now, of course, we've been talking for a little over a month now and now I'm ready mm -hmm. so of course I've had these conversations and mm -hmm. some were common questions of my own and then mm -hmm. some that like like this for example yeah. you know I think it's important for women to know don't worry it's not gonna they're not cutting you up oh precisely it's, it's, no, it's, it's almost like going to a gynecologist but being asleep exactly <laughs> and like you said it, it, it is it, it's very much a like that a GYN visit yeah. most women would say it's more comfortable than a, than the a, pap, smear. Yeah, than a pap smear or a speculum <laughs> exam or anything there that, you go. that we do in the office yeah. without anesthesia and again you know many of our patients wake up and they wonder whether we've even started yet mm. so that's always mm -hmm. very complimentary when they think that uh, we're still yet to start and we've already finished the job and then again it takes a short time to wake up from the anesthesia in the recovery room um, usually most uh, patients after we do the egg retrieval they're home within an hour and then they go about their normal activities the very next day that's good to ask because I do work out mm -hmm. and I and I, I, I enjoy that you mm -hmm. know um, my question for myself and maybe for anyone that mm -hmm. lives a very active healthy mm -hmm. lifestyle um, 
Are there any precautions? There, there should be. When it comes to that, it's just it's just a temporary okay. sort of hiatus from from very active exercise. Mm -hmm. And the reason for it, uh, Justine, is that when the ovaries are stimulated, they get a little bit bigger and they become a little more sensitive. So if somebody's used to doing a lot of crunches, they're going to feel that because mm -hmm. the ovaries are not going to be friendly to that. Yeah. Um, and that 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 enlargement of the ovaries will persist for a number of days even after we retrieve the eggs. Okay. So we usually say, um, you know, um, no vigorous physical exercise from you know the time you're really starting your medications until the, the, the first menstrual period happens after the egg retrieval, which is about 12 days after okay. the end. And then you can resume back to normal. To the know. ovaries recover, and if you look at the ovaries, you know, just, just two weeks after um, uh, an IVF cycle, there's no evidence that anything ever happened. They're, okay. they're right back to their normal size, perfectly safe to exercise. The danger is, is again, because the ovaries are, are, are sensitive. sensitive. Or just yeah. as sensitive. And you'll feel it probably. Yes, indeed. And, mean, and, and you can. And also, there, there's a risk of a, a, a very um, uncommon condition that we call ovarian torsion, where if the ovary gets big, it can actually sort of twist on its own blood supply. Uh, and again, you know, the more active somebody is, yeah. you know, if they're hanging upside down by their feet and, you know, the ovary spinning around in there mm -hmm. can be a concern. So, so these are just um, minor things. Um, uh, we just tell, you know, um, certainly women who enjoy exercise and activity, sort of, um, you know, bring it to, to mild exercise. Long walks are fine. You can walk for miles while you're doing an IVF mm -hmm. cycle. It won't ever inter interfere with your health now in any way. Now, for women that have significant others and mm -hmm. partners, um, are they abstaining from sex? Yeah, usually during that time, we have them do so. Yeah, it's... Um, uh, uh, because again, you know, we do worry sometimes if things are a little bit too acrobatic, it can uh -huh. be a little bit uncomfortable for the for the ovaries, yeah. depending on um, the, the the level of sexual activity they're engaging in, mm -hmm. and also especially at the time where we're recovering the eggs. There, there may be one or two stray eggs floating around oh in there. Then and, you might get pregnant. And it could be the case, <laughs> oh and it, it may not be the ideal time to get yeah, pregnant no, because no. the ovaries are quite stimulated. Yeah. So, so there, that uh, that would be our, our usual precaution. It would be to, to take it just a little easy. You don't have to be at bed rest. You don't have to you know, you know take time off from work. You can do all this, but again, just to, to be a little bit concerned about being too overly yeah. active during that time. Yeah, take it like a little break, nice little vacation. A little bit, yes, yes. Just throw it back a little bit. <laughs> now. In order to, like, is there anything for a woman that's going to prepare to get their eggs retrieved? Is there anything that they could do to better the chances of developing, you know, healthier, mature eggs, mm. diet, anything? I, I wish I wish that was a long list of things to talk about. Unfortunately, it's a pretty short list. It's basically the one thing that we, we know and we've known for decades is that, uh, and, and probably more women would abstain if, if they knew this, but smoking is terrible for the eggs. Mm -hmm. So cigarette smoking, even vaping, anything with nicotine mm -hmm. in it, the ovaries just do not do well with that. Yeah. And um, some of those effects are cumulative and they're irreversible, but yeah. certainly if somebody's been a smoker for a while, you know, while you're in your IVF cycle is probably the one time definitely to quit because yeah. the ovaries will, will respond adversely to that and that does affect egg quality. Um, uh, uh, alcohol, not so much. You know, certainly when you're pregnant, we have you avoid alcohol, but yeah. alcohol really doesn't have all that much social drinking on, on the quality of your eggs. Mm -hmm. uh, just a good balanced diet is important. We want to make sure that if there's any, you know, uh, um, uh, vitamin deficiencies, most frequently we find vitamin D deficiency. So there's some studies that say maybe mm -hmm. supplementing your vitamin D to a good level might yeah. be helpful. These are relatively small contributions compared to the big one, which right. is just age. That's that's. And 
the, the one thing, if you know, the one tool we would love to have in reproductive medicine is a time machine, but we don't have that yet. <laughs> so we got to take what we get at that time, and those adjustments with regard to what a woman is doing, um, uh, just in her general health concerns, can help a little bit, but not tremendously. There are two over-the-counter supplements that we use all the time that, again, have small benefits to the ovaries. And we do this for when we're expecting very few eggs or we're dealing with some of our older patients. One is called DHEA, long name, dihydroepiandrosterone. Mm -hmm. So in medicine, we always put these down to short abbreviations. And the other is enzyme-CoQ10, which probably many of your listeners have heard of, mm -hmm. you know, for, for benefits for the heart and the mind, other things like that. Yeah. So those are both available over the counter. They can never hurt, and they might help. So, so those are small interventions that can maybe give us a little bit of an advantage, but, but really it, it's just dictated by how many eggs is nature going to give us at a particular age for a particular woman. Absolutely, absolutely. Now here's a question that I know that people are always curious about. Um, do you know, are you aware of maybe a, certain insurances covering this? Because It's, it's becoming a, a little bit more liberal. Unfortunately, as we know, in most cases, um, insurance, and, and forgive me if there's anybody working for insurance companies that's listening, uh, don't tend to, to, to really be that supportive of, of some of the things that we do. Um, in many cases, they consider um, uh, fertility treatments to be elective. You know, mm. We consider them to be essential. It's part of you know, every woman's right to, to do these things. Um, but uh, the insurance companies will uh, view things as elective for as long as they can because it gives them the right to deny coverage. Right. right. And so, so with that, there are a few enlightened insurance carriers now that are beginning to, to understand this is the way of the future it and are providing benefits to it. But most of your big ones out there, unfortunately, would still you know, look at the average mm. uh, woman doing this you know, for her own fertility benefit, you know, not in the interests of immediately producing a pregnancy, mm -hmm. but really to preserve her fertility by freezing eggs. They would still deem it elective and, and make it more of an out-of-pocket expense, which we, we, you know, we, we're always trying to lobby against that. Right but the insurance companies are pretty slow to change their right. habits because it, it costs them in the long run. Hopefully they catch up with times because, you know, we, we are so moving too. forward to the future. And like we discussed earlier on in the podcast, there's so many variables that are mm -hmm. causing things to downgrade the potential of even creating life. So yes. if we can preserve it, I mean, that's at that point, it's no longer an elective. It's, it's a solution, it is. It <laughs> you is. know, it is. which is in that moment for the couple or individual yeah. that's doing it now but hopefully someone that listens to this that you know is a higher up or knows somebody in the, in the insurance world mm -hmm. come on we got to do a little bit more because the future is women and and, and, and the future is it, technology and science it certainly and is and and it, it would be a selling point out there uh, for you in the insurance industry right. because you would be the kinder and gentler insurance right. company that does and, care and about pioneer yes we're gonna love you <laughs> care about women's rights you know care about same-sex couples all those Absolutely. things that unfortunately are kind of discriminated against in the insurance world so now, when it comes to like the storage uh, process, immediately after the retrieval, mm -hmm. like what do you what, what happens next? Sure, um, let's talk about that. The um, when we collect the eggs, we get a group of randomly selected eggs, and and when we say randomly selected, when we stimulate a group of eggs, we're going to get some some good ones and some not so good ones. Nature just doesn't give us all good eggs. It's mm -hmm. just something that we just can't force Mother Nature to do. So we'll get a total number. Say the moment you wake up from your anesthesia after the egg retrieval procedure, that's going to be your first question: How many did I get? Yeah. So so again, we'll have an absolute number that that you know five minutes after you wake up, we'll know how many we got. But then the embryologist will take those eggs to the laboratory. And it's going to take them a couple of hours. 
to sort them out to see which ones have appropriately matured. And of any group of eggs, we'll always find a few that never matured properly mm -hmm. or were such low quality that they would not survive freezing and thawing. Mm -hmm. So we go from our total number to, again, a good majority of those later on that day would go into the freezing process. The freezing process, and not to get too technical, is a very rapid freezing process that we call vitrification. Okay. And they basically get a very rapid freeze, and that leaves them to be quite stable pretty much for an unlimited period of time. You know, prior to, to you know, the 1990s, um, uh, egg freezing just didn't work very well okay, yeah. because we had very terrible techniques. And uh, back then, you know, in the 1990s, if you froze eggs, you, you were lucky if 10 or 20 percent of those eggs survived freezing and thawing. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, it's quite the opposite. As we had talked about, you can fully expect, you know, 80, 90 percent of your frozen eggs to survive freezing and thawing quite nicely. Yeah. And the key is the stiff, different uh, rapid freezing technique. So that's the next piece of news you get. The, the moment you wake up from your egg retrieval, you'll see how many eggs you have. And then the very next morning, uh, your nurse, Anne, will call you and let you know how many were ultimately frozen. And it'll be a slightly lower number. Mm -hmm. So, But it's going to be, uh, those will be the ones that we know truly were the best matured, best quality. They've gone into the freezer. And again, once they're frozen, it doesn't matter whether they're frozen for a, a month or a decade. They'll come out of the freezer doing exactly what they would have done Ready the next day. Ready to go yeah. in that moment. Correct. I think that's so alleviating to know. And I know that we discussed um, prior that it may be likely uh, that I might have to do a second round just to get, what's the ideal digit number? Good question. And, and that, that magic number is different for every woman. Mm -hmm. Say if I have somebody who's coming through the door at 30 years old, you know, I, I can probably you know, do, do very well with maybe eight or 10 eggs as a minimum yeah. and, and have her be quite reassured that she can get a baby out of those eggs because not every egg fertilizes, not every fertilized egg becomes mm -hmm. an embryo. Mm -hmm. If I deal with somebody at age 40, I've got to you know, easily double or triple that number yeah. because I know that while we, we have eggs, each egg is, is unfortunately not going to be at the same level of quality as it would have been for a 30-year-old. So we have to compensate for that lack of quality by increasing the quantity. Yeah. And there are some women where it just becomes numerically impossible. Mm -hmm. so, you know, we, and we've had this, 45-year-olds who come through the door and say, now I want to freeze my eggs. Yeah. And I say, I, I need to freeze you know, 100 eggs in order to expect that we might find one or two that can do the job. Yeah. And knowing that, say, for a 45-year-old, even if we aggressively stimulated her ovaries, we'd be lucky to get two or three eggs per cycle. Mm -hmm. So you can see if we try to target that number of 100, she would be going through cycles for, for probably the rest of her natural life until she hit you know, 50. So, right. so again, we, we get to a point where we have to ethically say, you know, this... This is just really not going to, to be feasible to do. And we hate saying that, but we always have to be honest because, and you're right, unfortunately there are so many still those misconceptions yeah. out there where a woman feels that as long as she's having a menstrual period, um, there, there's no change in her fertility. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, it's very much the opposite. There's so much more than yeah, that. The changes are happening uh, completely undetected very, very long before any menstrual yeah. irregularities occur. Of course, we're hoping for the best, but I think it was amazing to put that information in my brain mm -hmm. so that I can prepare to be told that, hey, we got this amount, these are the mature ones, but we still need a little bit more. And that's that's and, important, yeah. yeah. The, the expectations, and we're, we're, 
we, and I hope you know, everyone in my field uh, does this the same way, but um, we always want to make sure that, that every patient, regardless of what they're trying to accomplish, understand that we can do just so much with science and technology, and Mother Nature is always our silent partner, and Mother Nature usually gets the biggest vote, so that's yeah. the thing. If, yeah. if nature votes no, then all our science and technology mean very, very little. Mm -hmm. If nature is working in our favor, we can do incredible, miraculous things. So, yeah. so that's the part that, uh, as long as everyone understands that, that that's going to be the part that we can't control, but, but again, we can plan for it, mm -hmm. and, and one of the ways we plan for it, as we talked about, is again, if we don't get enough eggs for, for one particular cycle, there's always the option of going back to the well, right. you know, a month later, uh, you know, six months later, and, and collecting a few more, uh, increasing the stockpile until we get to what we think might be the magic number for an individual yeah. patient. Yeah, no, I definitely wanted to share that because I want women to understand that there's nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with you, and it's okay to go a second round or third round. But there, it's also okay if, you know, that window is closed and there's other things to do. You know, like we spoke about egg donors, we spoke about other options such as, mm -hmm. you know, even adoption. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm super excited to be able to do this, to talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, because I know that I'm obviously gonna create another episode where I intimately discuss a lot mm -hmm. of things with my, but I before navigating through all my emotions, and my own personal experience, I really feel like it's important to ask questions and ask a, a doctor who specializes in this. And I wanna thank you because I know that RMA has such great popularity. When I talk about it everywhere and anywhere, whether it's my dentist, whether it was my own GYN, they were like, what? They, they, they helped, you know, my, my, my goddaughter, they helped, you know, my son and his, and his wife. They, and I just think that you guys are doing a phenomenal job. And if there are any more questions that I might gather, I'm going to for sure, you know, uh, add that on. But I just want to thank you because for me, it, I feel so safe in such a vulnerable situation. And I give you, because you're going to be working with me on this, you're going to retrieve my eggs. We will indeed. <laughs> we're going to work together and, and see if we can make you yeah. uh, hopefully uh, rest a little easier yes. with every night after you put those eggs away for safekeeping. And, no. and one of the things that you touched on there, Jacenia, uh, is that um, uh, asking questions is important, but getting answers from reputable sources mm -hmm. is really the key because mm -hmm. the internet can be, as we know, a, 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 a very informing or a very dark place. Yes. And we know there, there can be a lot of misinformation out Absolutely. there. Always consider the source of the information. And again, you know, there are wonderful stories, there are terrible stories, and, and, and there's there's just that need for, for the, the, the true story to, right. to come out. And, and that's where, and, and uh, I thank you for the wonderful compliments mm -hmm. on, on the practice, but uh, we all just want to try to do the right thing for every patient. And, and that's not the same for any two women. It mm -hmm. really is, mm -hmm. it, everybody's got subtle differences in their story. And um, it's, it's really up to you know, ourselves as, as the, the clinicians, the doctors, the nurses, the embryologists, to, to try to make sure it's not a one-size-fits-all sort of treatment, that Absolutely. we always have to make sure that this is very individualized. And uh, as I said, what fits one person will, will not at all be a good fit for another person. Yes. So, so uh, seek, seek your answers from reputable sources. That's Absolutely. what I would caution the audience <laughs> towards. I would too, I would too, because I know that um, once we had our conversation, just because I wanted to see what material might be out there, I found some stuff that mm -hmm. could make people feel either judged mm -hmm. by society or scare them away from mm -hmm. things that, again, what one person's story, mm -hmm. it's not the same for another. Talk to your doctors, talk to your partner, 
talk to yourself and prepare. There's nothing better than just preparing. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And um, I'm super happy to do this podcast as I voyage into my journey. Day two, going to take the pill at five o'clock today. <laughs> got to take, take it on the exact time I took it. You, you, um, got, you got a little bit of variability there. I don't, I don't want to have you be too obsessive and compulsive about it, but I appreciate your dedication. <laughs> but I appreciate your dedication, doctor. Oh, please. Thank you. Um, Thank you, everyone, who listened to this podcast. If you have any questions, please feel free. Um, doctor, where can they find you, this facility? Oh, um, sure. We're, we're, we're here, and in, in we have a number of offices throughout uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. But I know my audience. I have I have people that will travel all the way from Connecticut just to see my chiropractor. Oh, my goodness. So tell them where they can find sure, you. Sure, sure. Well, well <laughs> I'm here in Basking Ridge, New Jersey, and uh, um, uh, certainly we have offices all the way up from Inglewood down to, to Marlton in New Jersey and all the way out to Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Um, and all they have to do is, you know, just just reach out to us. We've Amazing. got uh, obviously our website, uh, RMANJ, and uh, and uh, again, we'd easily be able to to set up an opportunity at a, an office that's convenient to them. Believe yes. me, I have yes. uh, uh, any number of wonderful <laughs> colleagues who who can do terrific work, and they don't always have to come to Basking Ridge. But happy to see any of your listeners just hanging out. It's a it's a wonderful service that you're doing to 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 really um, uh, demystify some of this. Thank uh, the you. other thing you mentioned is that you know one of, one of the things that we uh, always find heartbreaking is when when people don't access treatment that they they could really find to be life changing mm-hmm. because of fears or misconceptions, right. and and that's that's a, an opportunity for for uh, 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 for things that could be lost and mm-hmm. and it's it's um, uh, it starts with information and yes. you're, you're you're providing that wonderful service so thank you for that thank you well thank you to my listeners again this is a girl talks feel free to email me any questions at a girl talks podcast at gmail.com and with that. We say our goodbyes. Doctor, thank you. My pleasure. (laughs) And we will talk again, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Thank you all. Bye.